Hello, everyone. This is Mark Sloan with ASAF Advisors. Thanks for joining us for our next podcast installment. Today, I'm joined by Fraser Moore, head of consulting at CMAP. Uh, Fraser helps CMAP's consulting and advisory customers optimize the use of the CMAP platform to support their growth and performance ambitions. He has an extensive experience working in both the consulting and technology industries as a founder and leader of consulting and advisory firms, a leader in large global organizations, and as an independent consultant as well. And today we're going to discuss Fraser's experience scaling consulting and professional services organizations and what he calls the four common crises a founder leader will typically face as they scale their consulting business. Um, before we dig into all that, Fraser, I'd love to hear one thing you do to take your mind off of your your, your client work. You know, how do you stay sane doing all this? <laughs> well, first of all, thanks for thanks for having me on, Mark. Really appreciate it. Um, yeah, outside of work, what do I like doing? Well, I love reading, um, and I read quite a lot of stuff around um, ancient history, uh, which I have a bit of a passion for. Uh, but being here in Australia, I guess uh, there's there's a lot of outdoors activities you can kind of get stuck into. So getting out into nature and camping and four-wheel driving is uh, something I really love as well. Oh, that's great. That, that is fun. And it, it is important to have those outside of work activities to uh, keep you balanced. Um, Absolutely. In terms of, you know, consulting and professional services, how you know what was your career arc? How how did you end up um, at CMAP building technology to uh, to support the industry? <laughs> Great question. Uh, well, I guess I've been in the sort of consulting um, industry for sort of twenty five plus years, as you said before, just sort of as a as a management consultant, but also sort of leading and growing consulting businesses both in Europe and um, here in Australia um, and sort of ranging from startup, you know, to um, sort of five to 40 people. Um, and then in Europe, sort of a multi-country firm of about 120, which we sort of ultimately sold um, to a US buyer. Um, and uh, my association with CMAP actually goes goes back quite a long way. So um, about 20 years ago, I first met Dave Graham who's the founder and CEO of, of CMAP um, when I was working um, in the UK at that sorting advisory firm um, and sort of brought me in as the, the operations director at that time. We were looking for a solution that would, would help us to standardize and automate um, our core business processes. So things like sales pipeline management, um, time and expenses, how we do our project financial management, resourcing, you know, reporting, sort of sort of the full sort of operational financial gamut, if you like. We wanted to get all of that onto onto a single platform that would give us one one source of truth and um, finally allow us to kind of chuck away the hundreds of spreadsheets and other disparate tools that we've been struggling with up to that point. Um, so I met Dave and we worked together um, to design and implement what has, has kind of since evolved um, into become the CMAP PSA product, um, which is which is very um, focused on the consulting sector. And sort of what that allowed us to do um, was to professionalize the business ultimately, I, 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 um, I guess so. Um, so what do I mean by that? Sort of, you know, put all of the kind of the operational processes in, in, in place that, that sort of allowed us to kind of 
you know, standardize the, the ways of working. And what that led to was, you know, our ability to kind of stabilize that revenue growth, improve profitability and, and really kind of get the business into a place where it became attractive um, and to, to external buyers. Um, and that ultimately, that's, that was what our strategy was to, to, to sell the business, uh, which, we, which we successfully did. Um, and then since then, I've bought and implemented CMAP, um, my own startup in the UK, um, and two other consultancies um, in Australia. So, so I guess I've always had a passion for, you know, how the right technology solutions can can kind of really enable, the, um, you know, significant operational improvement and kind of really help underpin the successful growth of of your business. Um, so when the opportunity kind of came up um, recently to to get involved with uh, with the CMAP business in in their kind of go to market the consulting sector um, in the UK and and our expansion into the US, so yeah, I hard to turn up the opportunity so here i am that, that, that's great and it, it it does sound like one of those uh, you've eaten your own dog food so um, you, you've <laughs> used the technology and uh, yourself and you know now you're helping others others use it so so that's good um it, before we really dig in you know deep into into the four crises um give us a little background on how you came to this framework for understanding the challenges that consulting firms face yeah, sure. So, um, I guess that the the various consulting firms I've worked with, from a startup to scale up to you know, you know, getting one sort of sold through a trade sale, and you know, plus working as a consultant, sort of you know, out, out there in the field, working for various different clients, and sort of seeing the various different kind of operational challenges, you know, all businesses kind of face um, as they grow, kind of grow and mature, I guess. Um, I sort of came across um, a chap called Hiroshi Mikutani, uh, who's the CEO of one of the world's largest re- retailers, who who defined organisational growth shifts um, as the rule of three and ten. Um, so this sounds a little bit esoteric, but let me explain. <laughs> um, so this, this rule um, states that dramatic changes occur when a workforce increases um, in multiples of three and ten. So, in other words company that grows from one to three employees will have changed significantly enough to require you know some change into its kind of way of working and then when it grows from three to ten and again it must adapt to different circumstances and that you know that change continues to occur as the company shifts from 10 to 30 30 to 100 100 to 300 and so on um so when you kind of translate that into the context of a of a growing consulting business it got me sort of thinking about the operational challenges that you kind of you face and bump into at the various different stages in in your growth and reflecting on my own experiences sort of in in terms of working with those those businesses at the various different stages of of their their journey so so i guess it sort of manifested itself i guess in in terms of the sort of crises as you would see them um, through through an operational lens um as you kind of bump into those uh, bump into those pain points um you know at those various different stages of growth Oh, that's that's fascinating. I mean, again, I think you you've lived it, and um, you know, you're really just translating your you know experiences and, and life lessons um, to this. So that that's helpful. So you know, with that, um, what are the the four crises uh, within consulting? So, um, so the way I sort of see it, uh, you know, when when the organization's a, l- a little bit. Um, smaller, um, so sort of you know in the region of sort of ten to twenty, 
you know, the founder owner often finds themselves, um, you know, getting a little bit too stretched to kind of continue to be involved in everything, right? So, you know, typically at the beginning, you know, involved in every opportunity, you know, shaping and delivering every project, thinking about, you know, the hiring and onboarding of every single uh, new consultant, you know, how you're resourcing them, you know, getting out there, doing all your networking, marketing, finance, strategy, building up everything, right? That's sort of the whole gamut. So at some point, um, you kind of run out of capacity, right? So the first first of the crisis is really sort of a crisis of capacity, you know? So this, this means you can, you know, you just can't do all of those things. You can't do all of those things, you know, from a, uh, you just don't have enough um, time in the day. You don't don't have enough um, sort of capacity in your own head to be to be able to kind of do that. So, so you have to kind of get to a point, I guess, where things some things start to be need to be written down um, and shared with others. You know, in a consistent way. You know, some of your processes that were were largely you know ad hoc or perhaps didn't even need to exist. You know, up until this point, you might need to start to formalise them a little bit. Um, you know, and often the way that you're kind of running the business is, you know, is in spreadsheets or you know, different, different um, small, dis, you know, disparate um, systems and things like that. Um, so, you know, it get, you get to that point where really you just you just need to start writing stuff down, um, you know, so that you can start to get a little bit more, um, I guess, uh formalization into the way that you kind of operate in the business so that you, you know, your own capacity doesn't continue to kind of constrain its growth. And then moving on from that, um, the second one, um, you know, as you go, as you get again, continue to grow uh, from sort of roughly from sort of the 20 to 50 mark, I guess, um, you know, the founder owner might have a start to get a, you know, a small team of operational finance team in place um, that you might be moving, you know, growing out of your first office. You might even be thinking about like kind of opening up up new offices, et cetera. Um, so you're starting to think about, you know, I need to hire in a lot more kind of experience capability and, and maybe add some different layers into kind of the organizational structure and, and things like that. So, so you're starting to bump into the crisis of quality. Um, so your operating processes are starting to become a lot more standardized, um, you know, and you're, you're starting to get different technologies in place. And you need to do that, right? Because, um, you know, the projects are getting bigger and likely to be getting a, a lot more complex. So you've got to really keep a close eye on, you know, project commercial risk and, throw, and, and profitability. Um, you know, you can't throw a blanket over the business um, anymore like you used to be able to. So you need to be kind of systematizing things. You know, how do we manage our resources? How do we make sure we get the right ones onto the right projects and they're in time to make sure that we're meeting our demand? You know, how do we how do we get some you know good insight into the business um, so that we know make sure we're making kind of the right the right decisions, etc. So it's just more of it. You know, you've got scale, um, you've got more projects. There's um, there's there's a greater uh, sort of volume to it, um, etc. So you you know you need more senior leadership. You need to be able to devolve some of those responsibilities you know particularly around sort of winning and and you know delivering and leading or leading the delivery of the work um you know being involved in kind of the building out of the team um so that 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 needs a different set of of capabilities kind of within the business um sure. you know and, and and the founded owner's role is is also likely to be evolving um you know within within itself you know they can't be involved in everything anymore so you know they get to a point where they need to decide you know where where do they their own capabilities best suit the business? Where can they add the most value so that they don't kind of 
constrain the growth and get in the way um you know of, of its continued success moving forward so so i guess the second one is about capability um you know how do you how do you make sure you bring in that right capability at the right time that allows you to kind of keep growing growing the business now that 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 helps and, and before we go on to the, the the third and fourth um not to focus on the negative, but we can learn a lot from the the, the negative. What's a, what's an example of um, you know someone you've seen and, and don't name names where they, they didn't you know make the leap from from one to the the next, right? Um, and and what what did, what did they do wrong in your mind? <laughs> um, look, I think you you see you often see um, sort of organizations that. And, um, you know they do they do very well at kind of getting to that kind of 20 20 people level right because you know as, as i said before you you can kind of almost throw a blanket over the business so that the, the the founder owner can can be kind of involved in anything uh sorry be involved in everything but you know if you if you don't if you don't consider what other capabilities you kind of need to bring into the business at that point um then you really will kind of get in the way right and i think this is this is something you often see, um, you know, with particularly with, I, I guess, with founder owners who have a kind of a controlling mentality. Um, you know, it's their business. It's their baby. They've kind of, you know, they've birthed it. They're very proud of it. You know, they they want to make sure, you know, they've invested a lot of themselves and, and probably a lot of their own finance as well. Right. So to make sure that it's it's successful and, and you know, and letting go a little bit of of some of those things you know letting go of some of those accounts some of those you know kind of big projects etc is kind of difficult um you know it's difficult for them to, to be kind of get over that hurdle but when they do and bring in others right you know one they they probably have a better time because they get to focus on the things that they really love doing um you know and can pass off you know some of those other things that that, that the business really kind of needs you know in terms of um, you know, just operating the business in a broader, broader, you know, larger business with more, 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 um, a greater number of kind of complex projects, um, you know, is, is really kind of really essential to its future growth. Yeah, no, that, that, that helps. So we've got capacity really being the crises constraint in the, the, the zero to 20 person firm, capability uh, being the, the, the 20 to 50 person firm. Um, what's the third? So the third one uh, sort of is is the crisis of capital. Um, so this this kind of a manifests itself, I guess, sort of when you're roughly in the in the kind of the fifty to to hundred um, uh, size um, of business, you know, and 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 in many instances up to this point, I guess, um, you know, many founder owners have been kind of bootstrapping the business of the, themselves. You know, they've they've been reinvesting a lot of the profits back into the business to make sure that um, it continues to kind of grow. But of course, you know, when you're getting up to that kind of size, you, your monthly wage bill is is getting pretty ch- chunky. Um, you know, you've got a, a greater kind of level of commercial risk, you know, in terms of kind of the volume of projects you've got over a broader set of customers. You know, and that demand keeps on on, on coming. Um, you know, hopefully your customers are loving what you do. You know, your brand is starting to get kind of recognised in the market. But if you if you don't kind of get access to um, you know some working capital, 
um, then then there's a risk, you know, within itself that the, the organization is going to struggle to continue to grow at the kind of the pace it has. So, so kind of getting access to some working capital is going to be, you know, important, I think, at this point, if you're going to be growing, growing your head count any any further. And, it, you know, you using that um, not only to invest in people, but investing again, you know, from an operational perspective, you know, maturing your operations, you know, the rule of three and 10, you're starting to sort of bust out your current ways of working. Um, again, you might have multi multi offices and things like that. So you can't see and touch everything anymore. So, so you, you, you kind of need, you need to be investing, you know, in the, in, in some infrastructures and things like that. And also, you know, you might be in a position where you want to play some bets um, on, on some opportunities that, 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 you know, that, that might drive in organic growth as well. So you might be in a position where you might be you know, wanting to, uh, to invest in, you know, in other smaller firms and sort of bring them into your own. So, so I think, you know, securing some of that financing to support that kind of working capital so you can kind of keep growing is is really really important at this point. Okay, no, that, that 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 helps. And then, what's the final crisis? And then the final one. Um, so um, I guess if you if you consider that that sort of the underlying reason of of why many um, people set up their own consulting business, you know, in the first place is true of, of everybody, of course, but many, many want to kind of get it to a point and, and, um, you know, sell it. Um, so, um, you know, it's been, you know, I mean, let's face it, it's been, it's been, it's difficult to kind of grow a business to this point. And I'm sure it's been a, a long and hard road, which can often, often take its toll. So, you know, the founder owner may be looking to sell or or at least realize some of the financial gains of, of their labors to kind of get it to this point. So, you know, when you're, you know, beyond, you know, 100 to 200 plus, um, you know, you, they may be thinking about, um, you know, looking for external investment into the business to support, you know, even further accelerating, accelerated growth or to sell or, or, you know, to get some external investment into the business. Um um, which is going to be important. So, so that so that you know you want to be making the business look as attractive as it possibly can. So, so the fourth one really is a crisis of charisma. Um, you know, it's about it's about making it look as good to the market so you can kind of maximize your maximize your your, your um, uh, the valuation that you're kind of looking for. So to to be successful um, to make that business attractive, obviously, there's a number of key criteria you're looking at. Uh, so obviously brand and reputation in the market, you know, quality of the talent within your business, the quality of your IP and how you can productize your services and how unique your service offerings are, you know, the type of clients, the size of your engagements, how repeatable is your business, um, you know, diversity of your client base, et cetera, you know, um, you know, how focused is your strategy and, you know, how confident are you in kind of your future, your growth plans. You know, and again, you know, you need to consider sort of the in terms of sort of maximizing value and making the business look as attractive and charismatic as you possibly can to external investors. You know, the operation of financial excellence that kind of needs, you know, needs to be there as well. You know, they're going to be doing their own due diligence on, on the business. So being able to kind of verify the business performance and demonstrate that, you know, it's been on a great, great journey um, and, it, and it can continue to go there. So, you know, that ability to be able to kind of demonstrate demonstrate all of the things um, and be as charismatic as a business um, as it possibly can be is is, is going to be super important to kind of attract that investment and, and sort of, you know, maximize the value you'd like to get out of it. Okay. No, that, that makes sense. Um, you know, have you, have you seen firms that have, you know, successfully anticipated these, these stages and 
proactively headed off the crises or are these just natural growing pains that a firm has to fight their way through? <laughs> I think I think probably the first time um, somebody is setting up their own consulting business and growing it, um, they probably bump into all of these crises, I think, uh, and, and have to kind of deal with them. But I think, you know, when, well, you know, my, my advice would be, um, you know, thinking about these sorts of things ahead of time um, is, is, is will, will make you more successful, right? And will, will mean that, you know, you won't, you won't kind of bump into these things and kind of stymie your growth, you know, and you can keep kind of keep focusing on, on just kind of building the business. Um, so kind of getting ahead of these things, I think is, is, is really important. Um, you know, I, I, I think, um, the most successful firms do anticipate these things, um, quite well in advance. Uh, and when they do that, um, you know, and they have a good strategies around dealing with them, then, uh, then, then, as I say, I think they continue to grow very rapidly. Well, that, that, that makes sense. And I, I mean, as you've been talking about this, I've I've founded a few different companies, and um, I, you know, I, I feel like I've been stuck in in each stage at times. And um, I think the challenge as a consultant is, you know, consultant you know is is always learning and always trying to get smarter and and always trying to come across as uh, you know a subject matter expert. So. I have to imagine it's it's hard for a lot of consultative professional services leaders to admit they can't do something or that they need outside help. Um, so I, you know, I think it's it's valuable to have these things pointed out and you know at least help people become more more self aware. What's one piece of advice you'd have for a founder leader to to navigate the crises? Is it technology? Is it process? Is it you know? introspection is it culture change you know what what is it um yeah i think i think um i think i think it's kind of get, getting ahead of kind of your operational growth so i think you know if you think about that sort of rule, rule of three and ten um you know and if i a couple of people i i, I um spend quite a bit of time with and, and uh really kind of listened to a lot of their advice. So a, a chap called uh, Professor Joe Omani, um, you know, who who works with a lot of kind of consulting firms, both in the UK and the US, and is a professor of consulting at Cardiff University. He he talks about, you know, making sure you adopt, you know, kind of the right operational rigor and, and um, technology solutions earlier. Um, so you can kind of avoid those those kind of major disruptions kind of in your processes. Um, you know, when you're when you've already kind of grown into it, right? And you're suffering those those um, those kind of growing pains. So, sort of, you know, get those kind of operating processes and supporting technologies in place before you get there, uh, before you bump into these kind of crises. So that sort of allows you to kind of you know anticipate them, prepare for them. I think that's kind of really important. Um, and certainly from my perspective, you know, making sure that you anticipate what you need before you at the, before you actually get there. Um, so start the planning early, you know, talk to people who've done it before. Uh, and you have to remember, you know, many, many, you know, people who set up consulting businesses have been consultants themselves and very good consultants, but it doesn't mean to say that they have necessarily have the requisite skills to, to, to run and grow a consulting business to begin with, right? They're skills that they potentially kind of learn along the way. So, you know, talk to people who've done it before, you know, learn from their mistakes, 
um you know and, and potentially not not learn from your own ones so sort of avoid some of those bear traps kind of along along the way um you know and don't don't be scared um or reticent to kind of invest in in you know in your business operation side of things right so i think a lot of people sort of think of that as a a bit of a cost that can be avoided and i think that's a, that's a trap um so you know make sure you do invest in that make you put sure you put the the right kind of structures in place that are appropriate for your business and it's right you know in its own phase of its of its growth um i think will be really important and then you can kind of avoid that significant potential future pain you know and really kind of get yourself get yourself ready for what you need when you need it sure sure no that that, that definitely makes sense I mean, hearing you talk I was, again, go back to my big six consulting days, and I think of it in terms of the client partner and the managing partner inside of the firm, right? The the client partner was really good at projects, at generating new business, at at managing the client to successful outcomes. It's a different skill set than being the managing partner and running the organization. Um, I, I think being, you know, the consulting partner, being the implementation lead can prepare you for driving structure and, and, you know, getting things done. Um, but to become that managing partner, you just, you have to think about things in a little different way, right? You're, you're a little more hands-off from the day-to-day tactical implementation work, consulting work, um, and, and, you know, more focused on the state of the firm and, you know, how's the organization going and, and, and where are we going? So this, this has been a super helpful discussion. I appreciate, you know, all your time and, and insight. Before we do go, I, I, I have one final question for you. Um, if being in professional services was not your dream job when you were 10 years old, uh, what else did you want to do? <laughs> um, I'm not sure I knew what I wanted to do when I was 10 years old, except for probably be a professional um, soccer player. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> uh, I, I guess if I could have my, my time again, um, you know, and doing kind of quite a lot of reading around um, sort of ancient history and things like that. Um, if you go back to the last ice age, you know, at 10 and a half thousand years BC, um, you know, the sea levels were a lot lower. So they were sort of about 400 meters lower. So, so since then, you know, many, you know, many swathes of, of, uh, of land have, are now underwater. So I'd love to be able to, go and investigate that a little bit and so if I was a marine, marine archaeologist I think I'd find that find that a pretty interesting job. Oh that's that, that's fantastic so thank you again Fraser really appreciate you uh, sharing your insights and thanks everyone for uh, listening in. Uh, thanks Mark appreciate it. You bet and uh, everyone will we'll be back again with another installment in, uh, in a you know, short period of time.